0: How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Let us bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us pray. This evening, God, we rejoice that things are pretty much back to normal. And uh, you've watched over and preserved us. And although you took one of our own into eternity through this COVID, and another one of ours is at home, wiped out by it, but he will survive. You have been good to us, Lord, no matter what happened. We praise you for that, Lord, and we praise you for the opportunity again to meet and to worship and to be safe. God. we pray that will continue, Lord, and we ask in particular God for our nation to repent and that our leaders, Lord, would repent and that we would have godly leaders in spite of our wickedness and deserving less. We ask Lord for just laws and the wicked laws to be overthrown. We pray in particular for the protection of Christians, God, as we have seen over the last several years that Christians and their businesses are being attacked for believing in your word, for doing what we have always done in this nation. And that was founded and brought about, Lord, more or less by those who are Christians and confess Christ and even had explicitly Christian laws in their constitutions. And so God above, we've fallen so far as a nation. that we ask, Lord, for your mercies upon us and that your gospel be preached clearly and boldly through the church. The church would indeed be eleven in society and draw men unto you. We ask, God, that you be with your church. We pray in particular, Lord, for the churches here in Colorado and America, Lord, for faithful pastors, uh, for men of conviction, for men of courage, for men of truth, for men who are constant in your word, Lord, and will not hold back the full counsel of God, and that the churches, Lord, would support them. They would promote them. God above, and we would not make excuses for men because they seem to draw large crowds, although they have many errors in their instruction, Lord. Not just passing errors, but even serious errors. But that seems to be the American way these many generations, God. We pray that that would change. And again, your spirit would bring conviction and change through the church, through the leaders, and, and through the members of the church, perhaps, Lord, and pressuring their leaders to change and do the right thing, God. And so we pray for your church. We pray for her protection again, Lord, uh, against the, the evil forces in this nation, not only legally, but socially in the lie, God. that would shut down faithful preaching, that will shut down faithful uh, men and women and their businesses that we have in here in Colorado, God, and that you would help them persevere and sustain their businesses, Lord. And we pray in particular for the churches that the pastors would continue to preach and have access to the lost and dying God and that uh, the media, social media and elsewhere, Lord, where we can reach to a lot more people and then perhaps we... We're used to for many generations, Lord. This is what the numbers show. A lot of younger people go on social media and Twitter and the like, and that we would have access to them, Lord, and that our preaching would not be shut down because it's so-called considered hate. In God above, we pray for our work situation and our stewardship, that you have given us many things, Lord things that are not ultimately ours, but are yours, which you have lended them to us, as it were, that we would use them aright for your kingdom to help those in need, especially, Lord, for our family and for our church, God, that we would take our talents and our times and our abilities, Lord, and the wisdom you've given us in our own experience, God, to help one another, to encourage one another, to edify one another. Lord, we pray for our work. We ask that we would continue to have gainful employment. We thank you, Lord, again during this downturn in the economy, that you have especially watched over our church and protected us, Lord, that way, and that we've had good work and good employment. We pray that we continue that you would give us wisdom, Lord, uh, in that endeavor, to be good workers that are as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves and productive, Lord, in our jobs. For our company, to be sure, but ultimately for you, we pray. In God, we ask that uh, we who are of our own businesses, our own bosses, or those who are bosses over others, Lord, you would give them wisdom and patience to deal with workers. Uh, many of whom are probably not Christians at all, not believers at all, Lord. And so may we be a witness to them if we are their bosses. And also, Lord, certainly uh, many of us who are not our own bosses, but we work for others, Lord, that we we would remember that we also are being watched by them and that we would work unto you, Lord, and be a good witness. your name alone we pray, God, this evening that your spirit would be with us and that we would take the word of God brought upon us and apply it to our lives by your spirit alone we pray. Amen. Zechariah chapter 11 verses 15 to 17. I'm going to have a little topical sermon here. I thought it good with such a long chapter with so much bad news in it. To have a sermon on some good news, not what bad pastors look like or what bad churches look like, but what good pastors look like. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God. Zechariah chapter 11 verses 15 to 17. And The Lord said to me, next take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. For indeed I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear the hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither, and his right eye shall be totally blinded. Let us pray. And with these startling words, God, we see your anger and your righteous judgment, Lord, against false shepherds. We even see your judgment upon the church that desired false shepherds, and so you gave them their own sinful desires, Lord, as a form of punishment. But God, may we see here a contrast, how this is a description of wicked shepherds who will not care for those who are cut off, who will not seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that stand still, God. But rather, Lord, in you, as we know, through Christ Jesus, have promised good shepherds, Christ being the greatest shepherd, Lord, and you've given us pastors who will indeed care, and who will seek, and who will heal, and who will feed, God. That is your desire. We see through a contrast Your Lord, what you hate, and therefore on the flip side, what you love and desire. And we pray that for your church. Amen. As I pointed out, we've read many verses on how bad the people were during the time of Zechariah, and of course, how bad Not just all the people, but certain people in particular known as the shepherds, the leaders of the church. As you recall, mind you, by shepherd, it didn't just mean the priests. Kings were called shepherds in the ancient Near East. David was called a shepherd as a king. He's supposed to shepherd, protect, and guard his people. Obviously, in that case, militarily from wicked people around them, enemies of Israel. So it's a social as well as a religious or ecclesiastical description. Of course, I'm going to focus on the ecclesiastical part. These shepherds, these leaders were awful. They were wicked. They used and abused the sheep while devouring their livelihood. They made money off the poor among them. They taught lies while pretending to love them. They were wolves in sheep clothing. And that is certainly a depressing read. So, I think it's helpful to show what a faithful shepherd looks like. The contrast. We can see it through these salient verses here. And if you recall, when I went through I believe it was the beginning of last year, uh, and when I was finishing up Micah, I went over the eight principles of how to apply the law of God. And one of those principles, that is, larger catechism, question 99. you know, yes, yes, pastor, we've heard that one. And one of them describes that, you know, that which is forbidden implies that which is commanded. And that which is commanded implies that which is forbidden. And that which is a curse implies the promise, and the promise implies a curse. what do we see here about a curse, that which God hates? And so the flip side of it is implied in here, that is, God wants this kind of shepherd for his people. So let's look at what God would rather give them and bless them with. Shepherds should be caring and seeking. So I'm going to go into pairs here uh, through these verses. For indeed I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off. But rather, of course, on the flip side, shepherds should be those who care for those who are cut off and should seek for those who are young. That's the first uh, point with those two words there. And then the second would be the healing and the feeding of God's people. And then the third pair will be the seeing and the doing. I'll describe that there at the end. Verse 15 here, caring, uh, that he will care for those who are cut off. The, the word here is interesting. It's not the way we use the word care today, at least in my experience in Christian circles. Um, where we think of, you've got to have a caring attitude. I don't see your caring attitude. What's, what's the problem with you? Or photo ops and lip service. See how much he cares for me. He hugs me. He says nice things about me. Uh, the tone of his, of his voice is quite uh, welcoming and winsome, so he must care for me. Those aren't necessarily wrong. want to have some care in your voice and Maybe a handshake or a hug, perhaps. Uh, But, of course, politicians do that, too. There has to be more to it than that. What you see in this particular word is the action of a leader towards those he, he leads. The loving action of a leader towards those he leads. That's the idea behind the word, because it has a military usage. And sometimes it's translated to number. To number the people in the armies. It's a commander coming among his people. In taking note of who they are. Translated care here, because the idea, of course, is a shepherd. shepherd obviously doesn't have an army of sheep. Okay, sheep, let's go take out the wolves, right? That's not the picture here. But So the commonality between the military imagery and the shepherd imagery of the same word would obviously be this loving attitude of a leader towards those he leads over. And so the authority idea is there. Is, is that the rain? Okay. People, oh, is it hail again? Uh, We had that before. I had thunder. I had a sermon about thunder. Remember that? So, let's see how that works out in God's providence. Sometimes the word is a formal visitation by a superior. Again, like the officer, the general, walking among his men, taking stock and note of who they are. That's the idea of caring here, to visit and number in a caring way as a shepherd would visit and number his sheep and know his sheep. Not the way Americans typically think of caring, like a politician someone who smiles all the time. He seems like he cares so much. Yeah, but what is he doing? Right? What is he doing? Is he really among the people and understanding them? And being with them? Now on the flip side, it's a reminder that ruling elders and pastors have an authority, have a real authority, and ought to exercise that authority in God's church for the good of the church. They should not shy back from using that power. And one of the dangers, of course, is shepherds pulling back and using that power uh, is that would hurt the church because they're supposed to use that power to protect the church. And one reason, one temptation that leaders have of not exercising that kind of care, the care that says, I'm also an authority here, you need to listen, this is important, is they're fearful of losing members. It's a real concern, especially in small churches. But we ought not to have that, but to be considerate and, con- and care about the souls. That's what a pastor will do. And that's done through concrete actions. You see that in the imagery, of course, of a general numbering and being among the people and paying attention to his, off, uh, his soldiers and the like. And so a pastor should do the same thing for his people as he is able to care for those cut off from the rest of the flock. It mentions that specifically, right? To cut off those who are cut off, and then the young, and then the broken, and those who are just remaining behind. So he seems to cover maybe four classes of, of sheep here. So those who are cut off to care for them, to care for those who are cut off by their own uh, initiative perhaps, to warn them that they shouldn't flee from church to church, but take the church of God seriously. Or perhaps they are sheep that are cut off without consideration, their own initiative. It wasn't something they did intentionally. They weren't just being stubborn or bullheaded. Uh, They were just confused or ignorant. In either case, the shepherd will be compassionate and understanding and come and help in a patient way to understand where they are and how they can take concrete steps to get them back into the fold, to care for them. Oh, I'm numbering them, and I'm seeing a few of them are cut off. They're missing. Imagine being a pastor of a church of 1,000 people. There are churches like that. A lot of mega churches are like that. Does that pastor really know anybody? You're like, well, he's got ruling elders to help. Sure, okay, you got ruling elders to help. How many ruling elders do you think you need for a church of 1,000 people to really understand what's going on? I know people who are members of large churches, and all they get in the mail is a letter saying, are you still a member? Yes, I am. Dude, how is that caring well, how's that numbering the sheep? Well, they're on the list, right? I numbered them. Do <laughs> you think that's what he really means? No, of course not. <clears throat> seeking. So separate should be caring and seeking. Uh, the seeking is obvious, right? To go out, not just to number and know that they're missing and woo them or admonish them to come back in or whatever the case is, but to go out to find them, to seek the young, as we read here. Who is he seeking? This is important. I've seen people misuse verses like this. Well, you know, Christ is out there seeking people. Who is he seeking? Who did Christ come to seek, he tells us? The lost sheep of Israel, his people. And here, in particular, it is more focused, not just the elect anywhere, but the elect already revealed in the church known as Israel. That's it. He's not seeking in going to Syria. He's not going to Egypt. He's not going to Europe and looking for the Vandals or whatever. He is in the church seeking the poor, confused Christians of the church to seek the young in this case. The young, of course, would be the naive. They don't know what's going on. They're still learning. Those are, those are sheep, the lamb, uh, who are the most uh, vulnerable. They're not as big and strong or fast. He's seeking them out and he wants to help them and protect them. And so it is. Not the unbelievers he's seeking. He's seeking out other Christians, other believers. In this case, the Old Testament believers who look forward to Christ, and we are the believers of the New Testament who look backwards to Christ, and of course forward to his second coming. It's lost believers. Those perhaps who are confused and easily manipulated, uh, taught good things but perhaps didn't fully grasp the truth. Young people don't always get things. It takes time to instruct them. And their minds mature over time. That takes patience. Uh, So this is a reminder, of course, that shepherds take care of the lambs as well. Yes, they're your lambs, your children, and you are the parents. But they are also in the church, and they are members of the church. They are baptized in the church. And so the session has consideration for them as well. And they want to help instruct them. That's why we have Sunday school for the kids, if we are able to do that. And historically, we even had schools. Presbyterians had schools. Anglicans had schools, Reformed churches in the, in the continent had schools because they were concerned about the young, the lambs, and wanted to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. And so that is part of the calling of the church and of pastors. Often, pastors would be the teachers of the local schools, and if they weren't, they would certainly uh, be invited and they would teach the catechisms, for example, on Saturdays, uh, or uh, they would be in the oversight committee to make sure the schools are doing the right thing and instructing the kids. It was always a given in the reformed Europe, that pastors were somehow involved in education, especially the education of the young. To seek them out, that they may be instructed and protected from the wolves. Those who are deceived theologically, and not just confused, but more than confused. It's gotten worse for their life, perhaps. Um, it's not sheep who know better, but sheep who are beguiled by false teaching or false practices and the like, again, young people, or young in the faith. Not just young biologically, but young in the faith. You may be 40 or 50 years old, and you become a new Christian. You know very little about Christianity. In fact, we have someone who's 96 right now, and his wife who's 91. They became Christians. They joined our church last year. As you can imagine, it's hard for them to come to church often. Uh, But they are zealous. I meet with them on Monday, and they ask questions. They ask good questions. They want to know, and they want to learn. But they are young, and I seek them out. And I want to instruct them and protect them and show them the way of Jesus Christ. That's what a shepherd should do. It's an active effort of the leaders of the church, not just the pastors, but the ruling elders. The idea of seeking, of course, is again leaving the fold and going out and getting perhaps a lost young one. Like the parable the shepherd, going high and low, looking for that one out of 99 sheep. Of course, some leaders don't do that, unfortunately. Uh, they pick and choose who they want to lead, and they are uh, snobs, perhaps, towards other Christians who are different cultural background, like Southerners. White Southerners are really looked down in some circles I've discovered the last few years. <clears throat> They're considered dirt or less than dirt, and they don't really want to be their pastor, essentially. Uh, that's not a heart of caring, nor an attitude of seeking those who are young and confused, and there's a lot of those, uh, not only in the South, but elsewhere, uh, about truth and doctrine, and they need help as well. And so, this is what a true shepherd is. We see it by contrast. The false shepherd doesn't care. They're cut off, oh well, I didn't know you existed. I don't I don't pay attention to the numbers. My church is so huge, for example. That's not always the case. I'm not saying all bad. big churches are bad, obviously. Uh, or, seeking the young. I could. I'm, I'm kind of too busy. I could care less as a leader, as a shepherd, as a ruling elder, as a as a pastor, I've got more important things to do. That should not be the case. Not at all. Shepherds should be healing and feeding. They should be healing and feeding. That's the second uh, duet, verse 15 there. Uh, we read the contrast again. Nor heal those who are broken, nor feed those that, stand, that still stand, that are remaining, that don't seem to have any other problems, perhaps is the idea here. Uh, and a, a good pastor on the flip side, a good shepherd. Shepherd will heal them and feed them. That's their calling. The healing, of course, is twofold in the church. Because the idea of shepherd here isn't just the pastor, but the ruling elders and the help in the church. Materially, I think, is not ruled out. If anything, it's probably assumed because, again, we see the material aspect in verse 6 and elsewhere in 9, where we read they're making profit and money off of one another. That's material gain of some sort. And so the poor person needs help. And so that's diaconate work. That's clearly the work of the church. remind you again, it's not the work of the church to be a social institution to help random poor people off the street, but to help, first and foremost, our own. We have plenty of poor in our churches, and our presbytery, and our denomination, let alone other churches and other denominations. And they need help. And of course, we read here, Earlier, as I pointed out, that they got rich off of one another like cannibals. They ate devoured one another is the language there, verses 6 through 10. And churches should not be doing that. They should be helping people. I I recall uh, one time uh, of a church I found out about um, from prior members. They said, yeah, I mean, we came from this one church, and they said, if you want help, you want some counseling, and uh, we can't help the counseling. Obviously, a pastor or church can't do all kinds of counseling. We're, We're limited. Then you can go over here and pay for these people. Well, if they're poor and they need help, don't you want to work over the money and help them pay for it? You just want them to pay for it because you don't feel like paying for it. I mean, what was going on? It was really weird. If someone needs help in the church and uh, they're not in gross sin, obviously, more than likely, I almost guarantee it, I know in our church, we will help out materially. We will heal that way and heal what we can materially. But spiritually, of course, is the big issue here often in Zechariah and the prophets and, of course, during the New Testament era especially. Healing the people of God with the gospel of God, for example. For those struggling with their love of Christ, perhaps, struggling against sin, they need to be comforted and healed against their sin, that God has not forsaken them, that Jesus Christ is their Lord, and his mercies are new every day. pastor has, the shepherds in general, have a narrow path to travel when it comes to healing. Because part of healing is what? Ripping off the band-aid. <laughs> right? You remember that as a kid? You taught your kids that grew up, you got to take the band aid off eventually. It has to get air. You can't keep it off. Oh, it's going to hurt. It's going to. I'm sorry, you got to pull it. And sometimes pastors and ruling elders in the midst of healing have to pull the band aid off. It will be uncomfortable. So, healing, again, you shouldn't walk away with the idea of healing, like the word caring, as some kind of, uh, oh, everything should be happy and roses and feel good about it. No, healing can, I mean, you got to set that leg on that. Sheep? You ever set a broken arm? I haven't. I've seen it. I don't want to deal with it. (laughs) The same is true spiritually. Sometimes you have to set somebody's arm or leg. And that includes using what then? The law. The law does the setting. It brings the conviction. It brings the direction of which the bone should grow (laughs) and the like. So healing, again... This passage and many other passages in the Bible shouldn't be taken in this kind of lovey-dovey way, but in the gruesome, gruesome, the gritty reality of what it means to be a shepherd with sheep who break their legs. So, or as I have here, cauterizing wounds. That's another illustration. Applying right doctrine to the healing process is part of the call of the pastor and of the ruling elder. Feeding. Now this is what we typically think of shepherds. We need shepherds, we need shepherds to feed us. This is one of the main themes of the Old Testament when it comes to shepherds. They are not feeding my sheep. God is angry with them. On the flip side, he desires to have shepherds who will feed the sheep, who will make the effort to feed the sheep and understand what the sheep need in terms of feeding of the Word of God. You feed the mind with truth, you reinforce the will, and you excite the emotions through this kind of instruction. I don't believe... Preaching should just be merely teaching only, although there's a, certainly a time for that. I mentioned this before, there's obviously a difference between exhortation and preaching. My, my daughter pointed this out before. She heard it when we were listening to somebody preaching on Sermon Audio uh, last week. She goes, sounds like a Sunday school class. I said, yeah, some pastors preach that way. It's not wrong. It's just the way they were taught. But you know there's a difference. This guy sounds like a preacher, and this guy sounds like a teacher. that's fine. There's a time and place for both of them, I believe. And I think ideally pastors should do both. There's a time for exhortation and saying, look, you have to stand firm. You have to, having done all, to stand as we read in Ephesians 6 against the wiles of the the devil, for example, and against the wiles of the world. And they need that kind of encouragement. And although pastors aren't described as coaches in the Bible, there is some truth to that insofar as some motivation is needed. Paul gives motivation. We read that. Peter does as well. It gives you reasons to keep going on as a Christian, to persevere. And so, the feeding, of course, is primarily teaching, as I said here, feeding the mind with truth, reinforcing the will to exhort them to follow through with actions, and exciting the emotions to be uh, joyous for God above. The law, in particular, of course, is part of the feeding, to warn and convict, to direct and to guide. The law is there. It's not just there to make you feel miserable. It's there to give you guidance. The law is a lamp unto my feet. We just heard that song on the way down here from home. That's why on the Lord's Day, I make a point of picking Christian songs and, and songs that we have, a lot of psalms out there to music, which is good. And you have the psalms in your heart then, and you have that, Psalm 119 and elsewhere. It tells us the importance of the law of God in the Christian life. We especially need it today, don't we? We need pastors who give the gospel, yes, but also the law of God and how it applies today. Not just ethereally, it's just, yeah, you know, just don't do bad things. Because it can be uncomfortable for pastors to preach some particulars when it comes to the law of God. I had to do that. I believe you should follow the text. In Micah, it's all about social justice there, or public justice, we shall say. Kind of particular there, about buying up lots of land. Quite interesting, buying land upon land and taking off rich man's cloak, stealing from the middle class and all that. So the law, of course, is to warn and convict. Christians need that, but they also need guidance and encouragement. This is the right thing. Don't listen to the world. Go this way. That's part of feeding. And feeding, of course, the gospel. Who God is, the Trinity, sin and judgment, Christ, salvation, faith and repentance. The whole counsel of God. The good news is the gospel. good news is that God loves you through Christ Jesus, those who repent and believe. The whole counsel of God. Uh, and another way of looking at this is to uh, know and to teach and to apply history. So Sunday school class comes along where I go a little more detail. Uh, I'm, we're going to be doing Sunday school when I get back from General Assembly. And I haven't decided if I'm going to go through Bollinger's book uh, on theology. He has the decades where he has um, ten ser- five sermons or five groups of ten sermons, 50 total, on theology. Right, so it's a different perspective from the Reformers' time. Or go through church history. <clears throat> we haven't done that in a while either, so we shall see. History, uh, that is, church history, but specifically the Bible, of course. Bible history is good and important. Theology, application therein, knowing the Old Testament, feeding them the New Testament, not just the New Testament, but feeding them the Old Testament as well, not just knowing it. But like I'm doing, you preach through it. There's a tradition in Reformed faith that would tr- they would preach through the Old Testament in the evening. And I said, why should I just change that? That sounds good. So I've done that. And I, think, I think Leonard did that. I don't remember now. But... <clears throat> Leonard preached through a lot of the Old Testament as well. He he, uh, taught me that well. And by preaching the whole counsel of God or feeding the whole word of God to the sheep means you have to feed not just the comfortable passages, but the uncomfortable passages. (laughs) Again, why it's useful to go through books at a time and chapters at a time, because then you're forced to go through texts you would perhaps otherwise not have ever touched. So I'm not going to say a uh, shepherd's not feeding if he doesn't go text by text, and not necessarily wrong, but he ought to be preaching the word of God, applying the law and the gospel. Third point, third duet. Shepherds should be seeing and doing, seeing and doing. So I get this from verse 17. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. Right, He's not going to stay there and protect them. He's going to take their money and run. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. Of course, in that metaphor, to go after the arms go after your power and your ability, to go after the eyes, to go after your knowledge and insight, right? Your wisdom or your own understanding of things. And so he's going to cut them off so they cannot see or do. That's the imagery. So on the flip side, of course, those he blesses, he blesses the church with faithful shepherds. They will be shepherds who also see and understand and do, and use the power of their arm and the inside of their eye to help the sheep. So they see, they have knowledge of the Bible, of the original languages, of Bible history, of the passages, of doctrine. You'd be surprised at the number of pastors who don't. Not to knock them and make myself feel better, but to remind you again the society in which we live in, the friends that you have in Christian churches. If it comes up, you might want to encourage them. I hope your your pastor needs to keep learning. I have to keep learning, and I try to. Knowledge of the times. Uh, This I get from the sons of Issachar, who were men who knew the times and seasons. Leaders, not just the pastors, have to know the times and seasons in which we find ourselves in. Not hide under a rock. We can't sit there and say, well, the church is only doctrine, doctrine that never applies to life. Because you guys live in real life. And the God, Bible obviously applies to real life. I just preached through Micah and Malachi too. We dealt with things in real life, social issues and economic issues. Again, not a lot of detail actually, but enough detail you're like, Wow. The Bible isn't just ethereal and just sitting there saying, wow, I just have this wonderful intellectual exercise. But the pastor applies the passage to your life. And that's part of seeing and understanding the times, and that's how he can feed the sheep by understanding what they need, the nutrition they need in their life, right, to extend the metaphor there, and to help protect them from false practices and lies and false shepherds. Doing, not just seeing the eye, but doing with the hand. Not perfectly, of course. Uh, obviously, one of the American temptations is to look for a perfect church, the perfect place, because we're very consumer-oriented. If you don't get what you want at McDonald's, you complain, and you go to another McDonald's. Uh, and that's not to knock on the flip side, that it's hard to find more faithful churches as time goes on, I'm finding out. Not like I go to churches, but people are telling me this. Uh, and so I don't want to be quick to say, what's your problem? Because now we're understanding more and more that there's a lot more messed up pastors and churches, unfortunately. So. Uh, do that with, as you will, either, either way, either twin-ditch error there to avoid. <clears throat> so doing, right? We are called, as leaders of the church to use our power, the authority given to us by God to do, to protect, to guide, to direct, to encourage. You do that through the power of preaching, of course. What is the pastor do? He should preach and teach. Is he available to preach and teach, or is he too busy to preach and teach? That's his job. The power of discipline. Uh, Discipline also comes through preaching as well. Discipline with the Word that way. It's just a general idea of discipline and warning and exhortations, of course. But, of course, particular ones and formal discipline and the like to deal with matters in the church, uh, that's part of the doing. It's very broad. Whatever the shepherd needs to do with his staff, with the Word of God, to whack perhaps a few sheep in the head, wake up. We're here to help you guide them, herd them around. <clears throat> I better stop the imagery there. You guys aren't sheep that way, but sometimes they are. You'd be surprised. And then, not just the power of preaching, that is what they're doing, and the power of discipline, the power of promotion. Who does a leadership promote? What does a leadership put up with? What does the shepherd put up with? I kind of mentioned that this morning, right? It's not just stay away from people who are... Malicious and evil talkers and envious. Well, maybe you you need to, I'm not saying you always do, you need to stay away from people who put up with people who do that. Especially those in power putting up with people who do that. When they can discipline and they're not disciplined, they're not doing. What's the leadership doing? Who are they promoting? You can tell a lot by who someone promotes. Can't you? We all know this. And one of the games people play is, well, I put it up here. I'm not really promoting it. It's just a list of things people can kind of read in general. Okay, so why don't you put a white supremacist on that list? well i don't want to be identified exactly so whatever you put on that list that you don't call the endorsement list is still kind of an endorsement list isn't it because you think it's worthy enough to put up there for people to read to some degree but other things are not that's another reminder shepherds do and part of the doing involves who they promote what they put up with in the church and of course discipline and teaching and preaching churches uh, the leaders ought to do that This is what faithful shepherds look like, brothers and sisters. The inverse of these verses. They should care and seek the sheep. They should heal and feed the sheep. They should see and do for the sheep in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray, brothers and sisters, and support faithful church leaders and churches. Let us pray. Help us, God Almighty above, we pray, that we would continue to persevere, that you would help the church and the leaders themselves to strive to this standard of your word by your spirit, God. And encourage us all, Lord, to that end. In your name we pray. Amen. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.